Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Emmanuel, God is with us. That's the reason we celebrate this Christmas season. In just a moment, I want to talk to you and really continue the series, The Story. We're talking about the stories become flesh. But before I do, I want to talk to you about a few favorite Christmases. I have one favorite Christmas that I remember. It was in, I think, 1964. I know that's a long time ago. But uh, we had our family gather together. It was my mom's side, uh, my two brothers, my sister. Uh, You can see in this picture, I'm sitting right next to my mom right there. I think I have a gun in my hand or something. And uh, my favorite, my favorite gift of all time is the Jimmy Jet. You see the Jimmy Jet right there? That's my favorite gift of all time. I thought you should know that. Uh, I went on eBay or someone, one of the guys went on eBay and looked. That's $900 now on eBay. So I should have kept it, but I think I wore it out in about two weeks or three weeks. But uh, we had a great time. That was really, I I look back on that. I'm glad my mom sent that picture to me because it did remind me of some favorite Christmases, favorite presents, and that certainly was one of them. This is a time of year you may be thinking the same thing. What is my favorite Christmas? What has been my favorite uh, present altogether? But you know what? I want you to see this clip of a little girl whom I'm sure this is her favorite Christmas of all time. It's a phone call from Santa, or she thinks it's a phone call from Santa. So listen up. <laughs> I'm sure that that will be her favorite Christmas of all time, especially when Santa Claus calls back. You can be sure of that. Well, the Christmas story that we're going to read today is found in the Gospel of John. I want you to open your Bibles if you have them with you. We're going to look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13, because it's here we see how God makes the story flesh. Here's a little history of the last several weekends. We're talking about, as I said earlier, the story, and here's what we've said so far. We've talked about God has created the story. Man came along and corrupted the story. God intervened, rewrote the story, and today we're going to talk about the story becoming flesh. God makes the story flesh. And the story's told in narrative form by two other gospel writers, by a tax collector named Matthew and by a medical doctor named Luke. But then we go to the Gospel of John. It's retold, and you need to catch this, it's retold in poetic form by the Gospel writer here. He's not just giving a narrative, but he's writing you a letter full of poetry. And that's what he does here. And you pick that up as you just begin to read this particular Gospel. It's written by a fisherman named John. I love it. It's in the opening section of the Gospel that bears his name, and it goes like this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. 
He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Wow. I mean, you read that story, it's amazing. Have you ever wondered if any of the people who played a part in the story of flesh here, God becoming flesh, understands what was really happening? Did the angels who announced the birth begin to grasp the amazing thing that was happening that night? Did the shepherds who ran to the major after being serenaded by a host of angels, did they really understand what they were doing because they appropriately bowed down before that baby? Did Mary, who gave birth to that baby, held him in her arms? Did she know the transforming power that that child would have on all generations to come? So here's what's really happening here. The one who created the story, who created the world and entered the world, became flesh. The one who created the world became a creature, became a human being. God became a man. That's what we're celebrating, Emmanuel. God became man. And that's good news. I mean, that's good news, especially the days that we live in now. We need good news. We need hope. We need something to hold on to. And it's so right that what is represented here for us, what tells us this wonderful story and brings joy to our heart is the birth of a child. It's the birth of God in the flesh. Listen, as much as we try, we mess the storyline up. Every single time, we're given a chance. Sooner or later, we go about our own ways. That's what the prophet told us. He said, when we're left to our own ways, we wander. When we're left to our own ways, we destroy things. But when God intervenes here, God becomes a man. He redeems us. That's newsworthy. That should be front page news around the world. Every person on this planet, I think you would agree, needs to hear this story at least once. Everyone. This is a story, a message that needs to be twittered through the whole earth. Everybody needs to know Emmanuel. God is with us. This is amazing. You see, I can believe that there is this living God, that the living God did all these miraculous things. I can believe that God parted the Red Sea. I can get my head around that. I can believe that, that God made the sun stand still. I can handle that. But this, what the living God did on that first Christmas Eve, this is amazing. Have you ever heard anything so fantastic that God became flesh. The creator became a creature. God became man. The story became flesh. I want you to listen again to the words of this wonderful fisherman who turns poet and writes this, this amazing account of Christmas. And he says it this way. In the beginning. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. All things were made through him. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What happened here? The word moved into your neighborhood. The, the word took up residence where, where you live on this wonderful planet. Now, the word for word that John uses is the Greek word logos. Some of you may be familiar with that word. And logos comes into the English language in words like logic or logical. 
One is logical who lives by logic, or one is logical who lives by the logo. Now, here's something else you need to think about. Why, why does John use this word? I mean, why does this fisherman tell a story about Jesus and call him the Logos? Why not use the word son? John is fond of that word. In fact, from this point on, he calls Jesus the son, the son of God. Why doesn't he use something like that? Or use terms that other people use for Jesus. They call Jesus the son of man, Messiah, Lamb, or Lord. Why not those titles? There's a reason. There is a reason he does this, because John wants to reach as many people as possible. You see, the word logos was a word that went wide and deep with every culture in John's day. That that if you were sitting on the street corner of any major city of his time, if you were in Jerusalem or or Athens, or if you were in Alexandria, or if you were in Rome, and there was a conversation that broke out, and the term logos was brought up, everyone would enter in. They would, they would have an idea of what that word was all about. Now, it meant something to different cultures, but it was something common. People understood that word. It's kind of a, an evangelistic word. By using the word to describe Jesus he had the attention of more people than it would have and he would have had with using any other word. The term logos enables John to meet people on common ground. It's still true today. Uh, When I received Jesus as my savior, I remember one of the first instructions that I received was to read the gospel of John. That was the very first thing that was told me, that you wanna get close to God? Yeah, I wanna get close to God. Then read the gospel of John. The Gospel of John will tell you the the message of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard the same thing. I know when I share the Gospel with people today, that's one of the first things I tell them to do. Read the Gospel of John. See, for the Greeks, Logos was the rational principle behind the universe. It was the source of life. When you talked about Logos to the Greek people, they would say, oh, that's life. You're talking about life. For the Stoic philosophers, the Logos was what integrated the universe. It was kind of a a common theme. It it was the common denominator through all of creation. To Jewish philosophers, Logos was the agent of creation. In fact, one philosopher called Logos the captain and pilot of the universe. Again, John used the term to bring all kinds of people into this conversation. So for example... What term might you use if you wanted to talk to people, a wide range group of people, about Jesus? What would be the term you would use today that's common? Now, everyone may have their different slant on it, but it's a word that people listen, they hear, and they go, ah, and and they bend an ear. They, They bend a listening ear to that word. How about the Big Bang theory, that people bend an ear to that? And by the way, I think there probably was a Big Bang. When God spoke, it was a Big Bang. I mean, a lot of things happened. The term God particles, you've been hearing that kind of kicked around in science? God, whenever I hear that, I kind of lean my ear. What if you had been chosen to compose the introduction of this poem that begins the real Christmas story? What term would you use to bring people together, to put people on the same page? How about this one? What about using the term higher power? Now, it might not mean the same to everybody, but it might be a good place to start. In the beginning was a higher power. Okay. I'm 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 staying with you. People would say that. And and the higher power was with God. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm on. And the higher power was God. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. 
And then it goes even further. You see what John's doing here? He says, and all things come into being by a higher power, and that higher power became flesh and dwelt among you. Do you see what John's doing? He's leading us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's using a word that people understand, that people know, that catches their attention. So the word became a human being. The story took on the form of flesh and blood. And John wants all of us to know that Mary's child, the man from Galilee who walks with, who eats with, who plays with real flesh and blood humans is the one who created the universe. That's exactly what John is trying to get us to understand. The man who would laugh so hard that the religious leaders thought he was drunk. The man who weeps so deeply at the grave of a friend named Lazarus is none other than the God of all life. The man who was so, so tired, so thirsty, he asked a Samaritan woman for a drink of water. He is the one who put the formula for water together in the very beginning of time. I like facts like this, but let me give you a few about how awesome and great and impactful this is. By conservative estimates, there are about 10 billion trillion stars in the known universe. 10 billion trillion. That's 10 followed by 15 zeros. By him, by the Logos, all things were made. At the center of our solar system is a, 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 is a star called the sun. We call it the sun. Every minute that sun powers out 6 billion quadrillion calories of heat. That's 6 followed by 27 zeros every single minute. By him, all things were made. And yet the energy produced by our sun is nothing compared to what astrophysicists have just found out about another kind of universe. 300 million light years away, it shines with 2 trillion times greater energy than that of our sun. 2 trillion times greater. The number staggers the imagination. By him, all things were made. Now get this. When Caesar Augustus thought that he ruled the world, the one who spoke all the galaxies and all the stars into space, lay speechless in a cattle trough. When Quirinius was the great governor of Syria, the star maker himself entrusted himself to a teenage girl. And then when Herod the Great was leveraging his power in the Roman Empire, God, the Logos, needed a mother to feed him and to change his diapers. Here's what the poet Lucy Shaw wrote from the place or perspective of Mary. Listen to this. Quiet he lays, whose vigor hurled a universe. He sleeps, whose eyelids have never closed before. Older than eternity, now he is new. Now native to earth as I am nailed to my poor planet, caught that I might be free. Blind in my womb, to know my darkness ended, brought to this birth for me to be newborn, and for him to see me mended, I must see him torn. That's the perspective. That's Emmanuel. That's the creator of the universe who came to be with us. I want to do this. I want to tell you a true and real declaration. I want to bring it to you and, and see what you think about this. The story transforms you. The story transforms our world. That's the declaration we make this Christmas season. It's a story that doesn't leave us the same. It's a story that makes all things new. It's the Christmas story. 
And I thought I'd give you five reasons why this story transformed your life. Number one, because the story became flesh, we have been given unbelievable dignity. Listen to this. Unbelievable dignity. There's something in us that has been given to us by God. Not deity, dignity. The reason we know this is true is God did not become an angel. He did not become an animal. He did not become plant life. God became a human being. And because he became a human being, he forever dignifies our flesh and blood. God so loved us that what did he do? He became us. Think about it. God became us. He became people that look like you and people that look like me. Secondly, because the story became flesh, we discover this incredible depth of God's love. God loved us so much that God changed. Listen, God changed. Get a hold of that. God changed. I'll say it again. God changed. You and me, we could not change. If we did, it was only for the worst. Romans makes it very clear. While we were still his enemy, he came and he died for us. He sought us out in our worst state and condition. What did he need to do? He saw. He saw the depravity. He saw the lostness. He saw where you were and he says, I need to change to save them. It's his will. It's his determination. It's his sovereignty to redeem us. So what does he do? He takes upon himself the form of flesh. He changed. He became something that he was not. Before Christmas, the living God was pure spirit. But in Bethlehem, that changed because he took upon himself our humanness. God changed the form of his existence forever that you and me might be free, that we would be redeemed. God changed. Secondly, because the, or thirdly, the the story became flesh, we have this unbelievable comfort in our suffering. We need that today. We need that now. There are all different kinds of levels that we deal with suffering. God has never meant that we do an in round around suffering or we're exempt from suffering. But he does say that when you go through suffering, I will comfort you. I will be with you. While I was putting this together the other day, I, I always think, this time of year, I always think about those that I, that, I, that I knew, that I was close to, and family and friends who've lost loved ones around this season. Difficult time. For many people, Christmas is not a happy season. For people on the West Coast and the East Coast, right now may not be a happy time. But I thought for those that know him, there's comfort that no one else would understand. Started writing names down of people that I know have lost loved ones, those people that are dear to my heart. I think of those long time ago. I think of those that have just been recent. I think about 30, no, 23 years ago. That's when it was. 23 years ago, Virginia Swellen went home to be with Jesus in December. I think about Jake Gabriel, who went home to be with Jesus December 17th, about 20 years ago. I think about these people and get a hold of their families and call them. Right when I was writing this message down, I thought of my friend John and I was putting some notes down yesterday, day before yesterday in the office and and I just picked up the phone. Right when I got here, just stopped and picked up the phone and said, John, I'm, I'm just thinking about you. Karen, his wife, passed away a year ago, almost today. And I said, John, what are you doing? He goes, I, I, I don't, it's amazing. He goes, I'm, I'm driving right by the church right now. I said, turn in. Come on, let's, let's sit down and talk. And so we sat and we had a great conversation. And, and what I remember 
is I remember that God brings comfort to those who've experienced loss. He'll find ways to do that. Are you an agent to help comfort others? Excuse me, this Christmas Eve service tomorrow night, we're having three services and we are going to lift up Jesus. We're going to honor those that have experienced tragedy in this last week in our nation. How do we bring comfort? We're praying. We're asking God to help us do that, to help you as a family do this. We're connected. We belong together. So how do we bring comfort? How do we bring the good news and presence of the Lord? You see, we've been given this unbelievable comfort in our suffering. Christmas expresses this unbelievable empathy, not sympathy. It's empathy, real empathy. God became humanity in pain. He became humanity in grief. The word became flesh. So that what does Christmas declare? It's God who hangs on a tree. It's God who experiences human violence and human injustice. It's God who went through all of these things. One of the epistle writers, the authors of one of the great letters says to us, there's nothing that you can go through that he doesn't understand, that he hasn't gone through himself. He's a God of sorrow. He became sorrow so that you could have comfort in your hours of sorrow. And then fourthly, because the story became flesh, we have hope for the future. Think about that. Hope is a a commodity that, that seems to be rare today. But there's this deep abiding assurance that we will be made whole again. And some of us may be thinking, not out loud, just thinking, why is there hope? I really don't see it. I don't feel it. I haven't experienced it. The reason there's hope is because that stable on Christmas Eve, God forever wedded himself to our humanity. He he tied up his future with your future. That's what he did. He, He gave you a wonderful future because he's brought it into his future. And I think, honestly, God has a pretty good future. And you're tied into that future. You've been brought into that future. Your future is secure because God's future is. Jesus said this to a crowd that was standing around him. He says, because I live, you will also live. The Bible says he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And then lastly, because the story became flesh, we've been given the privilege and the invitation to worship God. What does that mean? That means that I've been invited into a relationship, a personal relationship with God who became flesh in Jesus Christ. That I can come to him and the response that I have because I I know this is to worship him. You, You see that because all who came to the stable that night had one thing in common. The worship of a newborn king. Whether they were people of lowly roots like the shepherds or people who had roots of royalty like the wise men. The story in flesh invites, it compels us to worship him. And if we think of one thing this Christmas season, think about that relationship. That no one is left out. The Bible says all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. All who call on his name. He's set this up. He's been determined to save you so determined that he changed his very existence, his very form, and took on the form of a child so that you would be redeemed, that you would have everlasting life. Now, that's a good news story. Come and worship him.
Just like we started our service out today, come and worship the Lord. Spend time this week, the next few days. Worship him and see the newborn king. Would you bow your head with me? I'm gonna invite our worship team to come forward and we're gonna finish our time together in just a moment. But I wanna do this just like I did last night and that is to extend that invitation to all in here that that know you're not connected to God. You're disconnected. You, You know it. You've grappled with it. You've asked all the questions and then it's come down to one simple thing. It comes down to taking that step of faith, just believing that he is your Lord and Savior. That, that he's done everything to provide a way for you, to provide a way for me. So if you're here this morning, in just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'm asking all of us in this place to pray this prayer with me. It's a prayer of receiving his salvation, his grace. And if you're here this morning and when you pray this prayer, you know it's your prayer of salvation, that you're asking God to become your Lord, to be your Savior. After the prayer is finished, I'll just ask you if you would lift your hand, not to call you out or embarrass you, but to lift your hand and say, I prayed that prayer to receive Christ. I also know that there may be many here that a long time ago you you received Christ in your heart and the holidays may bring us back to that warm place of, of the past where we, we were right with God. We knew we were. But we, for whatever reasons, we've become disconnected. This is a time for you to pray this prayer as well. And when you're finished praying that prayer, I'm going to ask that you lift your hand as well. Again, not to call you out or embarrass you, but that you would make a confession that reconnects your life with God's life. That's what he wants to have happen today. Would everyone in this room please repeat after me, Dear Jesus, you are the Lord who makes me whole. Today I receive the gift of eternal life. Forgive me of my sins. Because today I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are my Lord and Savior that you were born in a manger, that you lived a life without sin, and you died on the cross for my sins, and you rose again because death had no power over you. You're the kind of God I want to follow. Be my Lord and Savior. Still with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you... uh, prayed that prayer this morning, would you lift your hand where you are? Just so that we can see you, you can make that acknowledgement and say, yeah, I did that. Good. If you lift your hand, just leave it up for one moment. We have something we want to get to you that helps you in the decision that you made today. It's a decision of faith, first of all. It's a decision of courage. It's a decision that you've made today where you're saying, "I, I need hope. I want hope. Thank you. We see your hand. Good. Once you receive that pamphlet or that little that card, you can put your hand down. Thank you for making that confession today. I'm going to ask you to do one other thing. If you came with family or friends, would you make that confession to them as well? The Bible tells us very clearly that if we confess our Lord before man, he will confess us before God. 
And so that you would make that confession. That, that, that's your nucleus. That, that's your family. That's your unit. And that's where you grow. You grow there. Tell them. If you didn't come with someone, then we're going to have prayer teams up here after this service. Go to one of them. Go to one of those couples and tell them the decision that you've made. And I know that you're going to be encouraged and grow. For those that lifted your hands, thank you for, again, your faith and your courage. This is a season to embrace the life and love of Jesus Christ. And there are powerful things that happen. That my life has changed. The old is gone. The new has come. All of these things are not theory. They're not remote. But they've been experienced by many, many in this room and by myself. Our lives have been changed because Emmanuel, God is with us. Father, thank you so much for the salvation that we've experienced in this place that you're always about, always determined to save lives. Thank you for finding those lost things. Thank you for finding me when I was lost. You've redeemed me. You've redeemed many in this room today. Thank you for your amazing grace. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.